So you could meet anyone, a billionaire, and you have something that they don't. And that is a really important thing to recognize that if you can find what you can give them that they would see as valuable, you will get anyone in your community. You yeah. will have limitless opportunities because the, the practice of looking for how your value can fit into their lives, that's, it's sales, but it's, it's way more than that. Mm. It's just creating opportunities that, you know, they're life-changing. It's my honor to be interviewing Miranda. Miranda has been for the past five years been inspired by human behavior and transformation to understand the workings of creating a meaningful and fulfilling life. In the pursuit of what makes people change for good, she has researched many modalities, including psychology, neuroscience, NLP, and hypnosis. In addition to her independent study, she has a Bachelor of Psychological Science and is a certified results coach. Miranda is also a friend of mine and has helped me a lot with understanding people-pleasing, persuasion, and influence. And I just thought during this episode, we'll dive into some of those topics. So welcome, Miranda. Thank you. Happy to be here. Awesome. Awesome. So I guess one of the first one, one of the first questions I'd like to ask you is just who in your life has sort of been influential for you and why do you think that has been the case? I think the most influential person in my life was Dr. John Demartini, because when I was about 19, 20 years old, I attended one of these two-day programs for free along with Ben Harvey. And I learned so much about life just in general as a, as a foundation for my whole core beliefs and philosophies. And those were the two days that really set my, my future foundation. So I think I've taken on a lot of those core beliefs and I think philosophies and just taken them through the rest of my twenties. So I think without that foundation and doing those courses that I did with those two uh, mentors, I think I would have had a different life and I'm really grateful to have, to have met them when I did. What do you think made you so receptive to hearing some of John's work? Was it just like the energy the first time you heard him? Was it the way he spoke? Was it, yeah, I'm just curious to to hear what sort of sparked the interest in him? I think like most people who are about a year or two out of high school and not quite clear about what they want to do, I was just a sponge to all kinds of ideas for alternate ways of life that weren't like the traditional, you know, school, uni, mortgage, house kids sort of thing that was like already laid out for me. I wasn't really interested in that. So I didn't know what to do instead. So I was watching a lot of YouTube, finding people who had lifestyles that I enjoyed that were different from what was like sort of the norm and he was living an incredible life and his philosophies just seemed to really make sense his his beliefs and his I think his his just way of life and his outlook on on events were quite stoic as well but he's highly researched and it just made sense to follow in his footsteps or take on those philosophies because it it meant that a different kind of life is possible, I guess. Mm. So, yeah. I, I remember you with that. I remember you explaining to me in one of the, when you were at his events, you just felt like the energy around the event. I was just curious if you could explain it. Like, you know, how some people, and I guess it's been scientifically proven, like people's energy and like the amount of energy they emit changes. So I was, yeah, I'm just curious to hear some of your description of like that story or event that told me. 
Yeah. Well, there is certainly like a, when you walk into an event and everyone's sort of on the same wavelength and feeling inspired and excited to learn. And I think, I think the main vibe was curiosity and that's just infectious, you know, cause everyone just gets excited by that. So that was the vibe of the event itself. But what I was mentioning to you was the sort of like aura, like not, you know, in the sort of spiritual sense, but like he had this energy within about a, I don't know, five meter radius of him, of Martini, And it was just like magnetic, I guess. Mm. You could sort of, when you walked within a certain distance of him, he was just like emanating this like love and gratitude. And I know that sounds a bit like woo-woo, but it was like a, you could physically sense like how mm. certain he was about like he, what he was saying and what he how, the way he was living his life and it was really inspiring so that mm. was really interesting to like to feel that like physically because I guess that's a bit different to what we've been experiencing now with like everything's on zoom but yeah I, I do miss that going to live events for that reason mm. how do you how do you think okay now sort of jumping into your communication because i guess even with some of the when like sort of going through websites or, or copyright or anything else i've noticed you you can be very articulate with the way that you present people's needs like how have you learned some of your yeah i guess some of the, the communication skills that you've developed like some, what have been some of the sort of the same the main sort of resources or areas you've looked into it's a pretty good segue actually, because through Martini was when I learned mostly about values. Mm-hmm. And because I learned it so young, I was able to practice implementing it into my language and the way that I communicate with other people, especially when I moved into sales roles and promotional roles where I would really have to get someone's attention quickly. And I mainly used tactical empathy and values. So communicating my values within their values and that way you can really connect the two causes and people become interested in what you have to talk about Mm. that's the yeah the summary of it I guess is is that sort of the definition of tactical empathy how how would you if you were teaching someone who didn't know anything about tactical empathy how would you how would you sort of walk them through that process of understanding what it is well, that's a, that really famous quote, seek first to understand before being understood. So if you can walk into any social interaction, whether it's professional, whether you're trying to do a negotiation or whether it's with your partner, you should always seek to understand their point of view first. It's really easy to understand your own, but both to avoid conflict and get the best collaborative outcome. It's really important to put yourself in their shoes, in their mind and imagine what's going on for them. And in practice, tactical empathy is verbalizing what you think that they're going through, what you think they're feeling and thinking and what's currently happening for them. Mm. So it might sound like, you know, I know you had a lot on lately and, you know, I'd like to have a chat to you. And, you know, it seems like now is probably not a good time because Mm -hmm. you seem a little bit like overwhelmed with work. So is one hour from now good? So it's just instead of asking someone for their time, can we have a chat? It's just imagining what what life is like for them and using that in your communication. Mm, that's really clear. Thank you. Um, so I, I guess in terms of like 
when you started your sales job, I remember you talking about the gamification of sales. Because sometimes I know I've even felt it as I can be like, oh, I kind of feel like I'm taking someone, something from someone if I'm selling. I kind of feel like a bit guilty or a bit like ashamed of it, which even if I know there's like a good product, sometimes I still feel it. But since I've like spoken to you, you seem pretty confident and yeah, you seem like you've had quite a lot of experience within sales. So I'm just curious how you work through some of those, those barriers potentially along the way, if they were. Yeah. Well, the first thing is that the product or service you're trying to get their attention for has to be genuine. If you're trying to get their attention for something that they don't want or need, then that's a bit of a gray area that, you know, I wouldn't agree with trying to sell someone something like that. But when you know for sure when that that person would really benefit from what you have to offer, then you can pretty much feel relief from all kind of guilt or any kind of like, you know, feelings of avoidance because the amount of times that I've had personal transformations because someone's gone the extra mile to push me and ask me questions and say, you know, basically challenge my objections, it, I can't even count. So I'm really grateful for every time that's happened. And I can see that with my clients as well, that they, they wouldn't have also experienced that transformation if I hadn't asked them questions and pressed and, and just like not taken their, basically their, I guess people in, in sales world, we call it objections, but when someone brings an excuse to the table, like, mm, I don't really have the time right now. Mm. They just want to know that you care. And if you keep going, then they'll feel cared for that, you know, if something does come up, you will stay there and not be scared away by that. So I, I try to reframe it as they just want to know more, that they just want to know you care, that, you know, if I know for sure that my product or service is ethical and really beneficial for that person, then I can have, you know, I can be completely free of any of those negative emotions <laughs> to do with sales. Thank you. And then I guess in terms of when you started out with your um, sales job, I remember you speaking about how you sort of gamified the process. Did you want to yeah. go a little bit of that? I'm just, I, I found that really interesting. Yeah. So I, well, I started in sales in retail and that's when I learned sort of the foundations of sales and giving people a certain amount of options and talking within their values as well. But when I gamified, it was when I was doing promotional sales or, you know, promotional events where I would have to get someone's attention really quickly or stop them when they were on their way somewhere or, you know, something like that in, in a really busy sort of like a convention center, for example, when there's so many things going on to get their attention over to our store. So that's when I would gamify it. And I would gamify trying to find the exact combination of words that would get people to stop, to, to patent break whatever they're going through, like whether they're like, they're on a beeline to some other place I'd have to patent break them and, and get the, their attention like that, or just like see how many kinds of responses I could get. So that way I could basically persist through the rejections and not feel bad about myself. <laughs> so uh, I did door to door as well. And, and the amount of times that, you know, people would get disheartened in, and leave after a week was, you know, it's pretty common because the rejection is hard to handle. So in sales, it's a big part of it. People are scared to do sales because the rejection is a possibility. Mm. And so if you can gamify it, give novelty to the whole experience, be curious, have fun and be playful, then the whole thing just feels way easier. Cool. So I think if, if you were going to teach, yeah, if you were selling a community, I guess, because most of the people 
um, listening to this will be interested in community or tribe building. How do you think you would you would go about it if you were selling a community to people? And I guess it's specifically, I guess it could be sort of any niche right now, but yeah, I'm just curious your thoughts on it. I think we could get a better answer if you gave me a context or an, a specific example, and then I could give you mm. an example yeah. answer. Yeah, so say for example, I guess the constant student community and yeah, because that's the one that I'm thinking off the top of my mind. Oh, you can take one that's more sort of neutral <laughs> for people who are listening. Because obviously know that I'm a, I'm a part of it. Say, say a golfing community, right? Say people wanting to get together to play golf. How would you potentially, I guess, sell it? And I guess we can pick like the age, which is like the marketing more. So like, say younger sort of golfers who are just, just getting. But, okay. So the target market is aspiring golfers or people who wanted to get into golf in into a community community setting and join a club I guess so to do that I would first become interested like I said tactical empathy in what they really want so people often buy a product not because of the actual product or service itself but because what they get from it in terms of feelings and secondary gain so Mm. if they can get a sense of belonging from something or a sense of superiority or attention or something like that, Mm. then they will more likely invest in that experience because it gets them something that they truly want. Like if they feel like they're making a meaningful difference in the world because Mm. they join this club versus they get to make friends, you can see which one they would prefer to choose. So I would first try to understand what it is that they really want in life. So find out their, their core values and what it is that they, they are dreaming to, to, to aspiring to, what, what they would like to achieve in life. And then I would show them ways that joining the club gets them those things. Mm. So that's the really summarized version of it. But uh, essentially any sales is joining causes, basically my values with their values. So mm. if I was the, the leader of the the golf club never played golf in my life but if I was um, (laughs) I would (laughs) I would have one-on-one chats or poll an audience in advance and and ask them what you know is really important to them so that I could sell from stage and I would basically link what's important to them with taking action and and joining the club Mm. so that's that's the way I would go about it and that applies to any any sort of club but in the specific sense of, of golf you know maybe it, it is highly associated with with wealth or like affluence so if people understood that they maybe they wanted to network maybe they wanted to get jobs that they wouldn't have ordinarily heard of mm-hmm. and you know get opportunities get into crowds that they wouldn't have met before it's not just playing golf with a bunch of friends it's networking, it's growing your, your um, community, it's getting opportunities. It's basically, if you future pace that 20 years down the line, they might have an entirely different life than if they hadn't joined. So mm-hmm. that also might help. <laughs> no, that's useful. Thank you. I think you're probably going to get hired by some golf club now. When someone... <laughs> <laughs> like I want Miranda in. Okay, now I guess I'm going on a bit more of a side tangent, but I think one of the core things within a community is when people feel safe to be themselves and like to be fully themselves, not just like 
like you said, like, I want to make a meaningful difference. I don't just want friends, like if they can actually ex express that truth of what they want. And I think one of the things that I found really useful, and I, I know you teach on is sort of letting go of people pleasing, as it's such it can be such like a big thing that diminishes authenticity. So I'm curious how you think about that and how you would potentially get someone to express their true voice and not people please. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's super important because it is so common today. Everyone wants to be liked because everyone wants likes on social media. Everyone wants to be accepted. And I think that if, if people truly understood that if they're liked by everyone, then there is no way that they like themselves because mm -hmm. they would be inauthentic to themselves and sort of chameleoning to fit into different groups. But fitting in is different to belonging. So if you want to fit in, you can fit in with all kinds of groups by changing yourself, or you can find a tribe that aligns with you, with aligns with your values, with what you want to achieve in life, with your beliefs, and has a good balance of support and challenge as well to, to keep you going. So that's belonging versus fitting in. And I would always recommend finding a group that you belong to versus trying to fit into every group that you, that you meet. Mm. So... I think that keeping that in mind, if everyone likes you, then something's wrong here. You shouldn't be liked by everyone because if you are your authentic self, then some people just won't like that. And that's okay because uh, like I've said before, we've had many conversations about this. There is so much value in having the courage to be disliked. And then I guess going on from that, if I remember correctly, you had like a three step, say in a conversation, say someone's like been struggling with it. So I really want to tell, I want to, I want to tell someone, my roommate who's close to me, like, mate, can you just like stop leaving the dishes out? But then each time I, I see him, I go, no, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> like how, how could I potentially deal with that, that situation? Yeah. So the, the three step system is called lock. Um, so L-O-C and I've actually added a fourth C recently which I might not have told you about so what people would normally do is just communicate so that's the, the C communicate they would just skip to that they would just say what they want to say or they wouldn't say it at all because it would be too difficult and they would be avoiding the conflict and basically what can happen if you if you don't use tactical empathy if you don't get on the same page and align your values then people become defensive I mean how many times have you like plucked up the courage to say something that might hurt someone's feelings or something like or annoy them and they've just gotten defensive or they've like taken a dig back at you and you've gotten nowhere so it's it's way more beneficial and constructive mm -hmm. to set the groundwork first to take 20 seconds to do the other two steps first so that your message can actually be heard received and done done something where like they can actually use it take it on and and change so, so the first step is labeling. So that is tactical empathy, basically labeling what you believe they're thinking, feeling, or currently going through, like I said before. So it's, it's just basically putting yourself in their shoes or predicting what kind of response they might have to what you want to say. Uh, and I'll give you an example of the, the whole thing in a minute. The second one is orient. So that one is a little bit like I was saying before with aligning values, basically positioning you as on the same team as them. So if you were actually 
with them side by side, you would be standing shoulder to shoulder. That's so it's often yeah. like that, you know? Yeah. yeah. So it's it's kind of like, I mean, you can feel the difference when you're sitting directly opposite someone versus when you're side by side looking at something together. There is a totally different vibe that basically it's us against them. It creates a third party sort of thing that you can both talk about. Mm. So any sort of feelings that might come up aren't directed at you, they're directed at that thing over there. And it just makes everything way more collaborative. So you would have to, you would label and you would orient to a common goal and then you would actually communicate at the end. Mm. So instead of just skipping to the last thing just to communicate, you would get that groundwork and then people become receptive and open. Mm. So we can do an example. Say, for example, you use your, your dishes example, yeah. leaving the dishes out. And you've said, it, you've said it before and they've just gotten defensive about it. You know, well, you don't, you don't put the toilet seat down or whatever. <laughs> just, you know, they're just like take a dig back at you and it's like nothing gets done. So instead you would say, hey, mate, um, I know you've had so much going on and, you know, you're, you're a good person. You wouldn't intentionally try to hurt my feelings. Of course not. And so I know that you're probably just thinking, oh, my God, again, you, you're going to have to say it. <laughs> you're probably going to be annoyed that I'm bringing this up again. But, you know, like we live here, we share a space and I want for us to be just totally getting along, just no conflict whatsoever. So we can both focus on what's really important, which is, you know, our studies and our, and our businesses, because we really love spending time on that. And it's way better when we, when we just don't have any conflict going on with you, right? Mm. Yeah. And so what I just wanted to say is it's actually, it's really important to me that you do do the dishes when you say you're going to do them, because then I don't get upset. Then I can use things when I want to use them. And that way we, we're just getting along, you know, we're just running the house how we, we both want it to be run. Mm -hmm. Does that sound good? It sounds great. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So, so that's the example of it. It's a bit of a silly example, but you know, you get the point. And, and the fourth uh, step, the, the second C is consequence. So if something is actually a bit more serious than, you know, the, the dishes mm -hmm. and you need to actually communicate a boundary with a consequence, then after that, you would say, if you continue to, to do this after we've had this chat, then here's what I will do. So you will give a consequence for your own, with involving your own actions, as in nothing to do with them. You just let them know what you will do as a response to them not listening. So that's if it's a little bit more serious. So, so with the consequence, would it be like, say, I will, I will leave this relationship, whatever, if, it's, if it isn't really going well? Or I will, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of like how you would phrase the consequence at the end. Or maybe, maybe I'm overthinking it and maybe it's just next time you do the dishes, then I will move out and we won't stay roommates or something. <laughs> that, that's a bit like, that probably, that example probably doesn't quite warrant it. But it, it's sort of, yeah, if they've sort of messed up a fair, fair few times and then you sort of bring in the consequence. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the, the important thing to focus on is the the fact that like it has to be you know a pattern I would say mm -hmm. unless they've done it for a third time or you know two times three times a pattern um, otherwise once or twice might be an accident but if you brought it up several times then you have to actually actually give a serious consequence because they're they're just not listening to you because you've said something's important but they're not taking it on even though you've done the, the labeling and the orienting so that's when you would give a, a consequence but it is it does sound a bit like what you were saying yeah so you can you can word it a little bit more like how it's making you feel and uh, what meanings and stories you're creating as a result of that sounds a bit 
funny, but I'll give you an example. So in the communication part, you could say, because I've told you this before and you, you haven't changed your behavior, mm. you haven't started doing the dishes <laughs> or, you know, you're, you're in a relationship and you, you know, you keep liking their photos on Instagram, um, whatever yeah. it is. Then you can say, I'm making it mean that like, I'm being disrespected and mm. like, it's, it's, I can't see it any other way because uh, we've had conversations about it before. It's not an accident. And so if you continue to do that, I will feel even more disrespected and because you know that now, I will have to just stop spending time with you until you can change that behavior mm. because I have to, you know, care for myself. So, or, you, you know, whatever the consequence is, it can be really small or it can be drastic. Like, yeah, I am leaving you. So I would say the more communication that you can do, the better, because then you can avoid these major outcomes. So if you communicate in the meantime, conflict, conflict resolution can happen when it's small and, and manageable. Awesome. Thanks. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's like, I don't know, it reminds me of that like analogy of like get the monster while it's small, you know, until compared to it's grown. I don't know if it's like a Chinese proverb or somewhere, but it's like try try and get it while you just see it. And I think like that's a that's a skill. Cause in the big consequences don't really come as often or don't have to like hurt as much. So I think that's really cool. So now Miranda, I heard you speak previously about like challenge and support. And I guess we're big on that in the constant student community because if everyone's just coddled and supported, then no one grows. And everyone, if everyone's just like, every time I see you, I'm like, you have to be doing better. <laughs> then there's like, there's not that much rapport. And then yeah, people don't feel like, I, I think it's just important to have both. One thing that we've, we've noticed that we've potentially struggled with and even myself like I struggle with it sometimes is how do you get someone to to reach out for help I think it's it's so often underestimated especially in community it's like I've often if you have any questions let us know I'll often have a question that'll be like no nah, no I can I can figure that out you know I don't need that person I don't need to ask it even though sometimes I want to and I feel like that's sort of common within communities because often it takes like that one person say who's at the event to put their hand up first and ask a question. And then so many others start asking questions, you know? And then it's like, so I'm curious how, how you think about sort of creating an environment where people just feel completely safe just to ask for help. Yeah. It's a, it's such an important question, especially with, you know, with communities, absolutely. And also these days with mental health issues on the rise, it's, mm -hmm. it's just such an important issue to, and a skill to have to be able to ask for help. So what I know for sure is that maximum growth occurs at the border of support and challenge. So mm -hmm. if, if someone has that environment where they are supported and they are challenged, that's when they are going to make the most amount of speedy growth that actually like, is sustainable and sticks around. And so if you can create the environment where they can be challenged and they kind of ask for help in order to, to get that going and get the support they need, not just feel totally challenged and, and paralyzed, that would be the best sort of environment possible. And I think the the word that you use was safe or safety. And that's that's what you need to, to focus on because if people just make decisions based on what's safest, path of least resistance is just the safest path. Mm. So if it feels unsafe and not in the like safe space kind of way where everything needs to be coddled and, and like, you know, cotton wool and stuff, not in that sense, but if it feels like the brain can do it without being in immediate danger, then, then it's possible. Whereas if it feels like 
this situation asking for help is going to lead to massive amounts of embarrassment or like exile from the group or rejection or something like that, then they'll avoid it entirely. So one thing that I use to get around this so that people can reach out and, and access support is framing it in a way that actually they are giving support or giving someone help rather than receiving it. So mm. if I can let them know that them reaching out to me is actually beneficial to me, then and they are actually helping me, then they are way more likely to do that. So for example, with uh, coaching clients or even with friends, some, some friends, you might have a few friends like this, they're just reluctant to reach out because they feel like they're going to be a burden or they don't want to stress anyone out. So they'll just deal with everything themselves. Whereas it would be a pleasure to help them. Like if you could get on the phone with them and help them out for 20 minutes, you'd be happy to because that's what friendship is, right? So what I can do in that sort of situation is basically let them know that I adore helping people. Mm. And if they, are, if they ever ask me for help, they are allowing me to fulfill my highest values mm -hmm. and I would be having the time of my life. So yeah. in that sense, they're like, okay, well, I'm actually helping them more than they're helping me. That's fine. You know, like mm -hmm. this, I'm not totally just taking from someone. And I think that's the thing that I use the most in my, in my life, professionally and personally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That makes so much sense. And then I guess if you're like, say the community leader or builder within it, then it's, you have to also exemplify that behavior. So maybe it's like telling a story of when you asked for help and then how much it actually helped the person who you asked for help with and like how much more things like grew and started to improve. Because, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. Like even still, like I'll feel that sort of resistance, like, ah, I feel like it would be good to talk to someone now, you know? But then as soon as I start talking to them, it, I know it's fine, <laughs> but it's like that, that gap in between and then I guess yeah it's just viewing it as like really safe and that's why that's why community is so important because that's what a community is hmm. so now I guess what how would you how would you define a community so I've asked a lot of people this and everyone's sort of given me a different definition but how would you yeah how would you define it yeah well, I think that there are different types of communities, but because of my values, I'm going to define it in a way that is the, the way that I would love a community to be. And that's just a group of people with a common goal or vision for their lives who support and challenge each other to fulfill their own values and achieve those visions. So if they more like an echo chamber and they all just like agree with each other and nobody changes, mm -hmm. or if they more like militant and just break people down, I feel like that's, you could, you could argue that it's a community, but I wouldn't say that that is. If I was to, to give it the, the ideal definition, it's a community of support and challenge where, where people can get together regularly to seek support and challenge to be, to, to go through growth in a safe way and mm -hmm. to access resources that, um, help them do so. Mm -hmm. I, I want to write that down. That's going to be at the start. <laughs> <laughs> I like the vision perspective. I don't think that's sometimes a common goal, but I think a vision is can often be like a nicer word, right? Or like it, it fits more because I can have a vision of living a healthy and abundant life, right? And say I'm a tennis player, but then I can also be really good friends with a golfer who's got like a different goal, right? But we're sort of 
heading in the same direction and then that's where I feel like friendships lie so yeah I like that differentiation so I guess one of the one of the other areas that I wanted to yeah I was curious about is how how you think about community in terms of like a romantic relationship because I know I guess you've created like a system of people wanted to reach out to you afterwards which was really interesting around sort of like defining your ideal partner because I think often in this podcast what I'm trying to sort of bring about is the um, I think there's often a line between like business community and personal community but like Joe, who I'm working with, I consider like a really close friend now. So I, I think it's like dropping some of that line. And one of the things I've noticed with friends, and I guess even in my even in my own life, is when I feel like I, I rely on like a romantic relationship, it often just, it turns south or doesn't, I don't feel as congruent. I feel more like sort of needy. So I'm curious your perspectives on like romantic relationships within communities like how you sort of tie that with friends and everything else involved that seems like a very (laughs) open-ended question but yeah I'm just curious your thoughts yeah there's a lot to go off there so what comes to mind when you bring up romantic relationships just in general the first thing that comes to mind is what is a relationship for and because there, there are purposes to every kind of relationship, but a romantic one, I feel, is it's not happiness, which a lot of people think it is. But like romance, they just want to be happy. It's not happiness, in my, in my opinion. It is to learn to love and, and own your disowned parts. Hmm. So along with, you know, the Martini philosophy is a reflective awareness. And that is that basically any trait you can notice in someone else, you have within yourself. And um, if you have an emotional response to that, that's not balanced, then it's something to look at. So Mm -hmm. if you're feeling some insecurities, if you're feeling angry that they keep doing this thing, you know, being, I don't know, stingy with their money, or maybe they're just being overly generous with their time and that just really annoys you, then that's something to look at because that is a part of yourself that you've disowned and, and rejected from yourself. That's what I believe. And that's certainly healthier relationships just in general, especially romantic ones, because it's, it becomes way less about them and their behavior and more about what I can do, which is in line with the, the stoic philosophies of just having control of, over what I can do, taking responsibility for my own actions and thoughts and emotions. So I feel that if we can meet our own needs in that sense, then we don't have to rely on the other person so much. And then we can just appreciate and love the person without getting enmeshed basically. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm curious, I guess, back to, I guess, the, the people pleasing. And I, I heard like the one phrase there that you said was like a balanced reaction. I think it, how do you balance, how do you tell if it's a balanced reaction? Because like, part of my ego will probably go, yeah, that's a balanced reaction. Like, I, <laughs> but then another part of me will probably be like, ah, oh, that didn't feel comfortable later. And then I reflect on it. I was like, okay, that wasn't balanced. So I'm curious how you, how you sort of tell that for yourself or even within others when you've seen it yeah so you can start by seeing what a balanced reaction is and so if you can think that you might even want to close your eyes anyone listening might want to do this too if you can think about the last time you felt totally with your open heart just so full of gratitude and just so full of appreciation and love for something or someone 
that balanced state of just appreciation, seeing everything as it is and being totally accepting of it. That's balanced. And basically anything else isn't. Hmm. So if you're uh, even slightly annoyed, if you're even slightly elated, that's not balanced. And it's okay to be a little bit either way, but just know that if you're going to go one or to one extreme entirely, something is going to balance you out. And it's, it's better if it's you <laughs> versus something else, like an event or a person. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you'll find that you want to be balanced and everyone around you wants you to be balanced too, because that way everything is safe. Everything is stable. Mm. If someone sees you in a elated state or in a totally depressed state, they want to bring you back to balance. They don't want you to, to switch polarities and become depressed or, or elated. They mm. want you to be balanced and happy and just content because everyone involved is safe that way. Mm. So if you, wow. you'll notice that, yeah, if you, if you come home, for example, from a, from a busy day and you have a roommate or a partner and you're feeling just like totally elated, like you, you, you crushed it in the sales, mm-hmm. you've got a big head, you're like, I am the best, like I'm about to get a promotion. And, and then your, your partner or your roommate goes like, hey, um, you got some spinach in your teeth. And you're, like, <laughs> you're like, mate, I just had the best day. Why did you have to ruin it like that? They will humble you or they will, you know, do the opposite. If you're totally depressed, they'll be like, let's go get some food. Let's go do something fun um, and bring you back into balance. So that's the purpose of relationships in general. And that's the, the value of them as well, that, um, they'll bring you back into balance, whether you like it or not. And it's better, like I said, if you do it, because then you have more harmony in your relationships. So if you can take time at the end of the day to balance yourself out before you walk through the door, for example, mm-hmm. um, then you'll have just more loving relationships with more gratitude, more acceptance, more love. Wow. So I guess I also found that interesting when you, when you were talking about it, because like, say if I talk to someone on the podcast who I'm like, Ah, oh, they're like big stuff. Like they, they've got like, I feel like they've got a higher status than me. I feel like, what's the word? Like they've achieved more. I can sort of put them on a pedestal. I found a process that you mentioned really interesting for that. Did you want to share it? It's, I found it super simple, but really interesting. I'd like to hear what you, uh, what you've been doing with it as well. I'd like to hear it in, in real life, how you've been using it. Okay. So I, I guess sometimes like Say if I've written or I've smashed something out and I feel like elated, I'll let myself feel it and allow it, but then I won't feed it. Like before, I would want to feed it and I would like, I want to hold on to this, you know? So I sort of notice like the wanting to hold on to the elated state. And then what I'll try and do is go, oh, okay, what, what can I do better? What could I have improved on? What could I have done differently? And then I guess in terms of like, in terms of people, what, what happened? I guess when I went on... <laughs> When I went on, say, one date, for example, I was like, yeah, she's really beautiful, like all of this. And I could see myself going into like rose colored eyes. And then I was like, what what potentially don't I like about it? (laughs) And that sounds like harsh if someone's listening, but it just like it made me actually think because no one's no one's one end of the spectrum. So I guess that's how, you know, that's how I've been using it. Perfect. Yeah, you nailed it. And that's exactly how to use it, because. Uh, like you mentioned before in the, the perfect partner formula that I use to help people just shape their self-development in general, but, you know, find their ideal partner as well. It's, it's about seeing a person for who they really are in, in a balanced way. So everyone has their stuff, you know, like their, their opposites that generally they, they like to 
not exhibit as much as possible, but everyone has their like unconscious moments, you know, mm -hmm. um, and maladaptive behaviors or, you know, less than ideal traits. Everyone has that. And you would want the person you're with to love you with all of those parts as well. Mm. And so you don't want a, a single-sided person because that just literally doesn't exist. So if you can see that person in, in all of their balanced like polarities and, and in their full essence, then you can actually love that person. Whereas if you are wishing for them to have all the good without the, the bad, mm. then that's not actually love. So that's where a lot of conflict comes from in, in relationships or, you know, issues because they wish someone that was something that they weren't, mm. they will never be. Yeah. So if you can go around like on first dates as well, mm -hmm. that, that is just the best way to do it because <laughs> then, then you're actually seeing someone as they are, not through rose colored glasses, like you were saying, which is actually infatuation rather than love. Mm. Um, and the opposite of that is if you only see the negative and don't see the positive that's resentment so to be in the in the center of love and gratitude that's mm. where you want to be ideally and I think you have the best chance of getting to know someone truly mm -hmm. in a first date or in the first few dates if you were to do, use that practice for yeah. sure wow no and it worked like last time I would I also felt less disappointed and I can say it before because when, when things like didn't end or they didn't work out because I guess we had different values alignment of where things were headed I had a few like conversation with friends beforehand but definitely going through that um and understanding it and I I think even if say someone's like Liam like I'm trying to monetize my my community right now like why are you talking about romantic relationships I think it's so key just for even if you're bringing in like older mentors like that's what one of the things that we've been trying to do is to sort of create a diverse community and you're like, oh, I don't really feel like I can reach out to them. Like they've, they've got so much more wealth than me. I kind of want like some of that wealth in the community, like whatever it is. Then like using that and going, okay, they're just human. <laughs> and they probably want to help people too. And sort of seeing them for what they are as well. I think it crosses yeah. both, both areas. Yeah, that's actually, I'm really glad that you brought that up because after I gave my definition of community, something that popped into my mind is actually the importance of where you, where you get the support and challenge from. Mm. Um, and that's people at different levels in that the same journey. Mm. So you would have people who are sort of like competent, but not experts. You would have absolute mastery mentors. Then you'd have absolute beginners because that way that in that same community, people are constantly challenging each other. And then you, they can get the correct amount of support from people who are, you know, actually experienced. So that's, that's the way that I think it works in an ideal sense to have different ages and different experience levels and different achievement levels. So that's really important, but it, it's really important to recognize that every, yeah, like you're saying, everyone's just a human being and everyone also has values and you, no matter what can give someone value. So you could meet anyone, a billionaire and you have something that they don't. And that is a really important thing to recognize that if you can find what you can give them that they would see as valuable, you will get anyone in your community. You yeah. will have limitless opportunities because the, the practice of looking for how your value can fit into their lives, that's it's sales, but it's, it's way more than that. Mm. It's just creating opportunities that, you know, they're life changing. Wow. I, I love that. I love that frame. Right. And 
how do you think you do it? So say if I was approaching, because I guess I had an example and I won't mention the name for the sake of it, but I met this older guy, I guess he was, he was a really experienced entrepreneur in his area is doing really well. I was like, I kind of like, I kind of want to be mates with him and see where things go. Right. But I could see that his health wasn't in the best state. Right. Like at all. And I know, I, I know like, cause I've studied health, like I could give some perspective, but I don't want to be like, you know, you should eat your broccoli. Or whatever, you know? it's like, like I'm trying to think how you, how you portray it. Cause I guess they have to be open to like that billionaire has to be open to that change too, you know, but I guess, yeah. How would you sort of approach it in that light? Yeah. Well, the quality questions is the short answer. If you can shape your questions to get information Mm. by staying curious and genuinely being interested in what's going on with them, you'll find um, gold after gold, like just invaluable information from the quality questions because you'll get into these conversations that they they rarely get into because Mm. it's rare that people are genuinely interested in them without just asking for something in return and you're you'd be taking them on a journey like a mental journey of trying to find answers to questions that they've never been asked before so in that sense you're providing them with an experience just in general in that sense and and with the answers that you get then you can assess how you can provide a solution to whatever problems they're going with going through so it doesn't matter um how much money they have if they are literally a billionaire Mm-hmm. you still have something through your life experience that they don't have. And even if you don't have it, you could connect them with someone who does, or you could create an opportunity for them. And so it's, it's generally perspective and experience mm-hmm. um, that people can give and, and they can build on that kind of value from there. But the quality questions will allow you to understand what it is that they would find valuable in the first place. Yeah. So it might be like, you know, where do you, where do you see yourself in, you know, three years from now, or like, what's your vision for your life? Or like, what is the one thing that if you, we, you know, on your last day on earth and you didn't do it, you'd be really disappointed. Mm. Um, so these kinds of questions that gets them to think beyond right now and today to, to think about like those really important questions that aren't urgent. There are things that are like pressing and they just like put it to the side, but if you can get them to think about these things, that would be best. And then you could say like, where are you right now Mm -hmm. compared to that? What are the sort of problems that you're facing right now? Because you're you're here rather than there with that ultimate vision. Mm -hmm. And you can assess, you know, what are the consequences of you not doing these things that you wanted to do, Mm -hmm. staying as you are and basically assessing what the benefits are of, you know, solving those problems and through finding that that valuable information out you can then insert yourself into the solution mm. case study yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm take notes on that section after at the end of the break i guess aside now a side note is is one things that i've noticed within the community building is the live aspect and sort of bringing in facilitating people together and one of the things I guess you've studied and learned is quite a lot of public speaking as well. So not just speaking to like that one billionaire, but speaking to like a room or speaking to lots of people. How do you think you keep an audience engaged so that it doesn't just feel like 
a presentation it feels like an interaction you know because like say when I was at uni to be honest I wouldn't feel like it was a community because like the lecture would stand up there half the guys would be like hung over like wanting to pass out and wanting to be there how do you yeah how do you think you bring people around and sort of facilitate them and help them to interact or is there an example in your own life when that has happened and you have felt that so gave you a fair bit to go off there if you take one bit of it that's all good yeah so I think building on what we've already spoken about in terms of values and um, solving problems and asking quality questions it's I mean our, our attention spans are about something like a minute and a half right now something like that before we need a new stimulus because we are constantly changing from one stimulus to another within like milliseconds really as we scroll through things and we're just getting used to that sort of thing happening so if you're in a room for an hour or for a day it's difficult to maintain that attention span with a large group of people who are sitting down rather than like being up and about and active so there's a couple of things that I've learned to keep their attention. I'll list them off and uh, we'll see where we go when we want to talk about one of them. One of them is pattern breaking. So just not doing what they expect you to do. So it might be a loud noise or it might be an odd remark or it might be silence. Because if someone's used to hearing your voice and then you just, they're going to look up from their phone, you know, it's just like a pattern break. So doing something that, they're not expecting about every three minutes to mm -hmm. 15 minutes just to make sure that they're you know staying in the room basically I like that so uh, it's at the start because I've often done it like at the start like say for example when I was selling a mindfulness or meditation yeah of course at my college I thought most people were going to blank out so I said so I looked up some of the research and it apparently led to a better sex life and no one was like anticipating that but I think, but then afterwards, I felt like midway through the speech, then I lost the, I lost some of the attention or the engagement. So I like that, like every three to five minutes, sort of like bringing that, that in. Yeah, keep going with your. Yeah, it's, it's really important. You've just led me on to my next point. If you do it in the beginning, you're basically doing the, the O part of lock, you're orienting, like telling them why they should be listening. Mm. Um, because if it's important to them, then they will pay attention. Mm -hmm. Whereas if they perceive this thing to be taking them away from what's actually important, which is like their phone or, you know, something else that they mm -hmm. want to be doing with their time, they won't pay attention. So mm -hmm. it's about creating enough importance in the room of mm -hmm. you, what you have to, what you have to share, I'm basically telling them why they should pay attention, what they're going to get from it, making some big promises mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, making it valuable in their eyes. So it's not just about, it's like, I will be talking about this today. You'll be mm -hmm. saying what you will get from today is. Mm. So it's all, it's, it's all coming together with the tactical empathy. It's just, it's all about the other person really paying attention to what is important to them and highlighting that. So that they're paying attention for the longest amount of time. Mm -hmm. And what you can do with that, another thing is open loops. So there's something in the brain <laughs> that happens when you open a loop and you don't close it, the amount of attention just skyrockets because mm -hmm. they want to complete the loop. The brain gets uncomfortable. And, and that discomfort is, uh, is like a form of challenge. Mm -hmm. So if you can create that support and challenge within your presentation as well, a bit of discomfort to get them 
mm-hmm. you know, agitated and paying attention because they want to solve the problem of the agitation. <laughs> then you can keep their attention for a bit longer. So what you might want to do is mention something in the beginning of your presentation mm-hmm. and then just segue out of it without finishing the story. And then several points during the presentation, they can be like, why did he, he didn't even finish that story, you know? And they're going to be trying to listen for it to see if you're going to finish the story. Or you can say, there are three things I'm going to talk to you about. The first one is this, let's get into it. And mm-hmm. so they want to know the other two things. Mm-hmm. So they'll be paying attention for longer. So open loops uh, are really important in keeping attention in a presentation for sure. I'm starting to notice I had like, when you're talking about it, I kind of almost had like flashbacks of like friends. Like it, it's often, even if I'm say presenting a story, I'll be like, oh, you know, and say if it's a personal story, I'll be like, oh, never mind. Like as soon as you say never mind, everyone always wants to know more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. it's a perfect example of a loop everyone's experienced that yeah Um, and they want that nice they want to put a bow on it they want completion they want finished product you know they don't want it to have like a half story and then wonder what happened Mm. you know and and that's the whole reason why tv shows leave you on a cliffhanger exactly yeah yeah game of thrones like you just have to learn to present like the end of game of thrones (laughs) seven series And then, yeah, I think, I think those are my, my things like pattern breaking regularly to get attention, identifying their why and their, their values and what they're going to get from it rather than what you're going to get from it. Mm. And yeah, open loops to, to keep them engaged. Epic. And then say so like the fear behind it, because like, I guess sometimes people can have like the tactics of like, yeah, I want to speak. I know I should like use my hands more, use my tone, but my body just doesn't do it you know like how do you think you can help people get over that that fear of it yeah public speaking getting over the fear of doing it in the first place and then also being calm enough to remember the skills that you want to implement Mm -hmm. is that right yeah Yeah. so you're not going to like this answer but it's just practice like it's just repetition it's repeated exposure to something so that your brain doesn't think it's going to die when it does this scary thing so like i said the brain just wants you to keep wants to keep you safe and if it thinks that there is a massive chance of social rejection if you're Mm -hmm. gonna you know try something new in front of a group of people then the only way to get over it is to get through it and Mm -hmm. just show your brain evidence that you will be okay and you can even go one step further by thinking of reasons that it's actually unsafe not to do it. So that's a bit of a, you know, mind bender, but it's, this is another quality question. Like how does not practicing this skill of like presenting in front of people actually put me in danger? Yeah. And, and so if you can start to think about that, you're like, that's a bit difficult. Never thought about that before, but you can, Think about it like, well, then I'll probably just never really get anywhere in life because presenting is such an important issue, uh, important skill. And, you know, it's going to create issues for me professionally and personally. Mm. I won't be able to do a a speech at my brother's wedding. I won't be able to, Mm. you know, get in front of a a board meeting and like, you know, make a a sale Mm. and get the job or, you know, these things, it's actually putting you in danger. So if you can get a different perspective and shift your, your outlook on the whole situation, then your brain will start to work in your favor rather than keep you try to keep you where you are because it's current perception is keeping where you are so if you change your perception you'll you'll get a different result and that's repeated exposure and and just 
you know, asking yourself quality questions to reframe things. I can, I can see how it's all sort of tying in together. This is, this feels like, it's been like the, the interpersonal element of like community building in one. We've gone like romantic relationships, like just interpersonal people pleasing. And there's been the public speaking as well. So like, cause I feel like it takes like a whole suite. Cause I was thinking about it within community. And I guess what you mean, what you've been saying is community is like a diverse thing. So you have to have like a diverse range of like, interpersonal but then like the technical skills well that's what myself and Joe are finding so I found this yeah I found this really really insightful so say for example now if someone was starting with sort of no community like I know for a while I I struggled at the start especially when I was learning more of like I guess the the personal development or like understanding trying to better myself trying to improve certain skills aspects I felt like I left like my old tribe, you know, and I was like in this like Stella, it felt like that middle zone where you just don't quite know where you are. And how do you think someone navigates from like, I don't feel like I'm part of any community to like, now I feel like I found the right tribe. Yeah, I mean, I think you're speaking to everyone at the moment who feels a bit isolated, but yeah. especially those introverts that, you know, struggle mm -hmm. making and, and maintaining relationships and I've definitely had that experience and it was a massive wake-up call when we were put into severe lockdown for several months and my social life wasn't affected whatsoever so that's a bit of an issue <laughs> um, so what I, I realized that so much of well-being and success and you know achievement of anything and living a meaningful life is friendship and just relationships in general the connections that you have with people shape your life and they influence what kind of behavior you take. So what I would recommend um, if you're starting from absolute, absolutely nothing, which is what I did about a year and a half ago, mm. um, was to join a community, absolutely, and just do one small courageous action where you just ask for a connection. Is anyone interested in this? I would like to do this. I'm interested in this. Can we have a chat about that? And so I would get into... Yeah, some form of community that is interesting to me, that aligns with my values, so that it's basically, you're not shooting in the dark, you're not just going to approach a stranger, you don't know what they're interested in, mm -hmm. go somewhere where you know you're going to have a lot in common with people. Mm -hmm. For example, the community I chose was, was one about a conscious business, basically, doing what you love and making money from it. And I, I met people like you, mm -hmm. and um, other people who were just just incredible people because we really get along. We have a lot in common. And um, it was really easy to ask them if they wanted to hang out, just have a chat about something or help each other out because it was a no brainer that everyone wanted to, to get involved in that sort of thing. And it might be like, I don't know, a robotics club or like a Lego club. I don't know what it is. Some like, it might be some obscure thing that like, you know, you need to find a really small niche and that's fine. Just find a group for it. There's meetup, there's like, Facebook events, there's all kinds of ways to find these groups and then just reach out to one person and start from there. Yeah. Just, uh, yeah, get one experience of making a connection and then build on it from there. Yeah, it's, it's so, like, I remember when I moved to Australia, I remember thinking, like, ah, like, I really, I really don't know anyone, but because I was interested in tennis, it made it so much, like, less effort 
and it's interesting like often people go I'm, I'm shy or I'm introverted or I can't do that I, I, I thought I had that label too but then some things like say when you started talking about influence public speaking communication like I, I love learning about it so like I feel like I become more extroverted like naturally it's so it's yeah so yeah like finding that those groups and as you said just making it small not saying that I, I have to meet like 50 people I just have to meet one person and then that person leads to the next person and then what's easier as well is like do you feel like now like say when I met Joe like I didn't think for my age anyone would be interested in the book Awareness by Anthony DeMello and then that's how sort of that's how we met you know and that's how things came about but if I had been like nah if I had been like inauthentic and gone people my age don't read like awareness by Anthony DeMello not going to be able to connect with anyone Liam or talk to anyone about it if I had like gone down that route then that connection likely wouldn't have happened you know so it's I know it's it's interesting yeah for sure and like like I said the perspective uh, if you choose to believe something like people don't read this sort of thing when at my age then like that's your, your reality and that's what you're going to get you're going to have no one in your life who reads awareness so you can say um to yourself like i wonder if there is anyone in my age who, who reads this sort of thing mm. so just like framing a perspective in the in a way that's going to get you what you want versus going to get you what the same of what you've already got mm. that would really help you in that process of making connections as well like if you start to think to yourself like nobody's going to be interested in me or I'm weird like nobody's going to like me versus I wonder if there are any other weirdos like me or I wonder if there are anyone <laughs> if there's anyone else who who is an intense introvert who just wants to like call on the phone rather than have video chats mm. you know it's just like open it up just open up your your field of awareness and your opportunities because you'll get what you think is possible and what you think you deserve so if you open that up just with a bit of a curious question, you should get uh, a lot more going in your life and make mm. some really meaningful connections. I wish I'd listened to this podcast like five years ago. That's why it exists now. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah. All I'm doing is learning the information and organizing it to give to people who were like myself about 10 years ago who didn't know these things. Wish they did. Like I, I would have made so many different choices. I'm glad that I knew it and learned it in the pace that I did because I am where I am but if I could give everything I know now to my younger self like I don't even know that the the opportunities that I would have had like endless so that's what I'm doing with my life please it's giving me meaning <laughs> that's a great way I, I, it's just like alchemizing adversity or I like the term I think is like an alchemize is just to transform sort of the natural property so you like transform the natural property of like all the suffering, turn it into lessons, appreciation, wisdom, give it out. That seems exactly seems like the go. Huh. And I guess, how do you think about online community community versus in-person community? Because I guess the guy, one of the guys that I was speaking to recently was talking about like a digital divide and how there's like often like the split. But I'm curious how you view like social media is like community versus because I know like you're a fan of like TikTok and I haven't necessarily used TikTok much and people gain value from different things so yeah I'm curious how you think about online versus in person 
Yeah, well, if you if you bring up now, you brought up TikTok, so we we can talk about it in the sense that it's just an extension of your mind, really. Whereas other social medias like Instagram and Facebook, more they just give you more of the same. Click on one thing, if you engage in one kind of post, they'll give you like your whole discover page will be like all of the same thing. So it's a bit different on TikTok where you can like basically be interested in one thing and it'll show you other things in that same like group of you know interest. Mm. And it'll like show you things that you didn't even know you would be interested in. So there's a difference in the different types of social networks that like in social media and what effect it has on our lives and our brains. But like, I mean, I coach people on Zoom or over the phone and we still get incredible results. And I would argue it's even better because people feel more comfortable because they're in their own homes. They didn't have to travel anywhere. What's that? They feel safer. It's like a safer environment. Yeah. And for, for some things that we do, I don't even use Zoom. I just like call them on the phone because then they don't have to have eyes on them and they can feel totally just relaxed. And so there there's like benefits and drawbacks to, to everything. Like I said uh, at the beginning, I, I miss that visceral feeling of being in a room of people and like feeding off the vibe of everyone. Mm-hmm. But I do believe that you can still achieve somewhat of the same thing online and it's just it's really important to choose what you're going to invest your time and energy into and your attention your attention is like the most valuable thing ever second to time actually but your attention is the the commodity that everyone is after with marketing with social media with like all kinds of companies that just want your attention so you have to choose it wisely where you want to give your attention so i would say like with don't get lost in shallow things on social media and unfollow what you don't want in your mind and and like shape it and curate it specifically to meet your needs and benefit you rather than make you feel less than mm. which is what happens a lot on social media so there's a really good quote plant flowers in the garden of your mind otherwise you will forever be pulling weeds mm. and that really applies to social media so being really careful about intentionally putting things in your awareness so that your attention is where you want it to be versus it's just running you and you becoming dependent on it mm-hmm. went on a bit of a tangent there but i don't know if i answered your question I was just thinking, it's like a useful quarterly or like even monthly thing is just to go through my to, to go through social media because it's hard like i read carl newport's book digital minimal yeah. and it's it's hard to just get completely off it, right? Like I've, I've tried, but in terms of like, con- like connecting with people globally, marketing, like it's, it's a really useful like starting point. And even some, some things are really educational and you can reach out to people you never knew you thought you could get in contact with, right? So it is, it is really useful, but it's like continually being um, intentional with it because like they're billion dollar companies trying to just get and wrap your attention you know in the device so it's I like that it's almost like creating like let's go through at the end of this month and just scroll through and just or maybe it's like once a day you see it like I don't actually want that there goodbye yeah Yeah. it's it's literally like that it just bringing the awareness to using it day to day if something so I I try to score things out of 10 on um, either pleasure or productivity so if I'm doing anything or consuming any kind of content and it's less than a five on out of 10 on pleasure or productivity, 
then I'll just immediately stop doing it. Mm. Like I can't, you know, you start watching something or maybe you're scrolling social media and it isn't an eight, you're like really enjoying it. And then it becomes a seven and then a six and then it becomes a three and you're like, oh, I'm stuck here in this loop. Like I'm just on my phone, but I'm not actually even enjoying this anymore. Stop. Unfollow whatever you're not enjoying and, and go and shift your attention to something that's way above a five. Wow. Um, so yeah, and it, it can be like, you know, maybe you're not enjoying having to sweep the floor or whatever, but it is an eight of proactivity. Like you need to get that done. That's fine. But also with your enjoyment as well. So it, there's no point in doing anything that's under a five in pleasure or productivity. Mm, I love that. I love the, the scoring system, you know, because it's, it's like you even get stuck in like a six out of 10 life. It's like Joe says, it's like six out of 10 and everything. It's like, it's not too bad. It's not too good, but you not, don't quite want to make the change, you know? So like having that clear scoring system, I'm going to implement that as well. So I guess, Miranda, we've covered a wide range of different topics around communication, influence, sales, dating, community building, and finding your tribe from scratch. What do you think is an exercise or an action someone could take from this to have a greater sense of community? Well, I guess different things will appeal to different, to different people. But like- yeah, I think, I think based off that, you should determine your own values. Mm. you should really get to know who you are because once you know who you are then you you know who you're not as well and you know where you should belong Mm -hmm. so rather than trying to be someone you're not to fit into certain groups or to try to do something you think you should do rather than you actually want to do if you find your values ask yourself some really good questions what's really important to you what do you love doing what do you love talking about what do you love researching? What do you love, you know, um, getting better at? What mm-hmm. do you love? What do you know a lot about? These things uh, will allow you to get to know yourself. Um, and from there, you can find groups and communities or even make your own based on those interests and values. Epic. And I think with, with the questions, is really sort of taking the time. I remember I used to listen to these podcasts and go, nah, I, I kind of already know that, you know, but actually like, I really enjoy free writing and I don't know if you wanted to include it within free writing is where you just like you just have the question at the top of the page and for like five ten minutes whatever comes to mind you just let your hand follow so that could be a useful prompt is sort of going back and listening to some of those quality questions Miranda just posed and and going through it but thank you so much uh, today Miranda I've thoroughly enjoyed it learned quite a few things as usual not just quite a few, a lot, and remembered quite a few. I really appreciate it. I appreciate anyone who was listening. Did you have any any final words that you'd like to say before we jump off? Just a lot of gratitude for you. Thank you so much for um, interviewing me and having me on. I really loved it. As always, it's always a lot of fun. So thank you for the opportunity. And thank you for everyone's attention because that's <laughs> it's always lovely to have people's uh, attention in a you know attention economy basically. So mm-hmm. thank you for your attention. I hope you learned a lot, everyone who's listening. Awesome. I, actually, I, I don't want to do the I don't want to do anyone who's listening a disservice. I, so if they wanted to find you, I can link your website down below. Is there anywhere else where you would like people if they could check some more of what you're up to, what's been happening? Is there anywhere else? Absolutely. Well, yeah, speaking of quality questions, I I do free clarity calls for anyone who's interested in uh, in what I do. 
and getting to know me a little bit more. So that's like a full 45 minutes where I just ask you amazing questions that probably no one's ever asked you before. So if you wanted to get a little bit more clarity around your life, your vision and what you want to, what your next steps are in life, if you're feeling a little bit unsure, I do free clarity calls. So that's available to everyone on my website. Epic. I encourage people to do that. And thank you so much, Miranda. And thank you, everyone. Bye for now.